wasn't really particularly taking aim. It was just a random arrow, right? Is there anything random with God? For real? So, I mean, you know, even though this guy's not doing it, God's got a plan. He's directing it. And Ahab, the wickedest king, is gone in a moment. So, was that a lucky shot or what? So, God has got a justice, and he'll judge the unrepentant of their of, uh, sin of mankind. The king Ahab was a very wicked king who, uh, I believe, received the due justice of God for his continued wickedness. However, as King Ahab dies, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, takes over as the new king of Israel. And this is where the story gets interesting and bizarre all in one. What, will we, be, what we will be reminded of is the simply a profound truth. God sovereign, and God is powerful, so we're going to pick up the story. So, first of all, right off the bat, in verse 1 and 2 of 2 Kings chapter 1, uh, the king has an accident. Now, I don't really understand fully what this was like. Uh, it says in the text, a lattice window. Uh, we know what lattice is, right? In fact, out here on the tree fort, it's got some lattice, and I said, I'm taking it down because it's really not very safe. It wobbles a little bit, and I don't want anybody falling into it, you know, lattice is not real strong. And I, I don't know exactly, but in biblical times, there was kind of a lattice, a tummy, tummy, you know, weaving type process with different reeds and different types of vines and so forth. So whatever it was it looked like, it's kind of in this window, and this king is sitting there, it says up high, doesn't tell us how high, and he's sitting in there, and all of a sudden, whoop, up to dumpty, had a great fall, and there he goes. He's down, he's out, and now he's laying in bed probably not a real fun time in his life. So he's fallen there, he's in, he's laying sick in bed, and uh, obviously this was probably not a real smart thing to be doing, And uh, but he was doing it. So Isaiah suffers this injury, probably caused some, some type of infection inside internally that, that caused him to be bedridden. And, uh, you, know, don't, don't, you know, it's kind of like this God working up, setting the scene, kind of working behind the, behind the, the obvious things that are taking place. God always has a plan, right? And so, he's in there. The king falls. His wicked father is now dead. Now he's laying on his deathbed. And so, he has this accident. And then secondly, he has this appeal. And we find this in verses 2 and 3. So he sends out messengers. Hey, go find Beelzebub, and I want you to go find out whether or not I'm going to live or die. I mean, I think it's a fair question, right? I mean, if we have an accident and we're laying there in bed, we want to know, am I going to get better or is this going to get worse? You know, there's this problem here we're going to find out in just a moment. I mean, he wants to know whether it's going to be a fair question, right? Am I going to live? Am I going to die? You know, what's going to happen here? So he sends out these messengers to inquire as to whether or not he would recover from the sickness that resulted from the accident. So God sends an angel to alert Elijah. I mean, nothing like having the inside scoop. Hey, Elijah, you got some men coming your way? Here's what you need to be ready for. And God is working behind the scenes to set up things that... That will ulti- a scenario that will ultimately, ultimately bring glory back to himself. So he goes, here it is. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Elzebub? The bottom line is, they're going to find, but they're trying to find the answers from the wrong source, right? I mean, they're not looking to God. And so Elijah asks this question. Well, are you searching for Beelzebub because there's no God? Well, there is a God here, but is that, your, is that kind of what's taking place here? Well, Baal Zabab was the common name for Baal, the common god of the Canaanites. 
So you can see right off the bat that their trust was not in God. His father was wicked. He's turned out to be a wicked king. He's serving false gods. And he wants to know from the false god whether or not he's going to live or die. So then you find that the king gets an answer. And we see this in verses 4 through 6. This is kind of interesting here. Verse 4 says, You will not get up from your sickbed. You will certainly die. And then it says, Then Elijah left. Now, I'm not real brilliant, as many of you have found out over the last few years. But if I were Elijah, I wouldn't be sticking around either. I mean, think about this. I mean, this story only gets gooder and gooder. But this is really cool because he's sticking I mean, he's like, I, yeah, you're not going to live and just tell the guy he's not coming up and I'll catch you all later. And he's going to retreat. The guy's got wisdom beyond his years. He's not going to stick around to see what the king's going to do to him because of his great answer. So, verse 5, the messengers returned to the king who asked him, why have you come back? I mean, wait a minute. I've sent you out. And the bottom line is you could have not, you, there's no way you could have gotten an answer that fast, right? I mean, they're barely out the door and they're already returning with an answer. So you see the king has this accident. And he has this appeal to find out whether he's going to live or die. He gets this answer and then you see his anger just going through the roof here. Look at verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 6. They replied, a man came to meet us and said, Go back to the king who sent you and declare to him, This is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're sending these men to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you will not get up from your sickbed, and you will certainly die. And the king asked him, What sort of man came up to you and spoke you these words? And just for a moment, Elijah's probably not that guy that you're thinking he is. I mean, he's not this, you know, GQ guy. He's not this, you know, entrepreneur. He's not this well-dressed guy. I mean, look at this description. They replied, a hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. Some old hairy man. And he's probably thinking, who is this guy? Hmm. So he's angry. And he doesn't know quite what to do about all this. And uh, so he has a plan here. In his anger, he thinks he's going to deal with this. And he says, it's Elijah the Tishbite. So look at verse, verse 8. And they replied, a hair, I'm sorry, verse, verse 9. So King Ahaziah sent a captain of 50 with his 50 men to Elijah. And when the captain went up to him, he was sitting on top of the hill. And he announced, man of God, the king declares, come down. Now, I don't know about you, but once again, the wisdom beyond his years. <laughs> no way. Not happening. I'm up here, you're down there. If you want me, come get me. No, that's kind of like a little bit of insert there. But you get the idea of what's going on here. He is run because he has just told the king that he's going to die. And he doesn't want to be that guy that's telling the king he's going to die. And then in the king's anger, he's sending 50 men to make sure that they get this guy who says he's not going to live. How does, they, how does uh, Elijah respond here? Look at verse 10. Elijah responded to the king or the captain of the fifty. If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. Now stop right there again. Don't look, don't read on, cheaters. Don't don't read on. Can you imagine just for a moment the faith that it takes? Put yourself there for a moment. You have just announced death on the king. That there alone is just a huge issue. 
And now he says, if I'm a man of God, you're calling me a man of God, but if I am, may fire come down from heaven and consume every one of you. Can you imagine now being one of the 50 men? What if he's right, guys? <laughs> what if, what? And they don't even have a chance to run. God's word tells us what happens. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. I mean, can you imagine, once again, put yourself there as if you're there watching this. This is awesome. Can you imagine, just out of nowhere, fire comes down from heaven and just destroys 50 men, just like that. That is incredible. And it's awesome. And God displays His power. And, you know, everything, God does everything He does to bring glory back to Himself, right? That should be a really big red flag for King Ahaziah. I mean, that should just be a huge, hey, I mean, just think about it. The word, stuff like that, that kind of word, it gets up quick. Hey, Ahaziah, you know the 50 guys you sent? Gone. Gone. And this is where I say, (laughs) the Bible's really got a sense of humor here just a little bit. Ahaziah doesn't quite get it. So, look at verse 11 with me. So the king sent another captain of 50 with his 50 men to Elijah. And I love what the word says. And he took in the situation. <laughs> now think about this. The next guy. I mean, he's, the word's out. The first 50, gone. Second 50, God's word says he takes in the situation. <laughs> yeah, you think. He's going to sit there and contemplate it just for a moment. Um, king, um, I mean, you know, I really do love you. I want to support you. I want to serve you. Hail the king. But did you hear what happened to those other 50 guys? And he's contemplating, like any one of us would or should or could. Do I really want to go face Elijah after what we just witnessed? And I'd be sitting there contemplating. I'd be taking in the situation. And just kind of wondering what's going to happen next. And uh, God's Word tells us what happens next. So, verse 11. So the king sent another captain of 50 with his 50 men to Elijah. He took in the situation and announced. So he thought for just a moment. I've contemplated it. I've, I've thought it through. And, and he goes and does exactly what the first guy does. <laughs> Man of God! This is what the king says. Come down immediately. And Elijah says, well, it worked once. <laughs> Elijah responds, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And then it says, so a divine fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. I mean, can you imagine twice in a row? I mean, how dare they go after the man of God? And they're calling him the man of God. He's got a reputation for one reason. He's earned it. And he's standing up and he says, No, I'm not going down there. If you want me, you're going to have to come get me. But if I am the man of God, gone. Gone. Twice, God does something miraculous and so powerful that it points to who he is and what he's capable of. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verses 11 and 12. I'm sorry, verse 13. Then the king sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. 
The third captain of the 50 went up and fell on his knees. You think. It didn't fare for the first 50. It didn't fare for the second 50. Whoa, whoa, I am coming, Elijah. But Well, hold on here. Just hold on. And he's just getting down before Elijah. Gets on his knees in front of Elijah and begged him. Man of God, please let my life and the lives of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Already fire has come down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of 50 with their 50s. But this time, let my life be precious in your sight. And God does something different here. So the third 50 were sent, and the the third 50 were spared. And the angel of the Lord tells him, Elijah, I want you to go down there. I've set the screen, or set the scene. I know what's going to happen. So he goes. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, verse 15, Go down to him. Don't be afraid. So he got up and went down with with him to the king. Then Elijah said to King Ahaziah, This is what the Lord says, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel for you to inquire of his will? You will not get up from your sickbed. You will certainly die. So not only does the angels come to him, and he says, I want you to send word to these messengers and send them back. That he's, they're not, he's not getting up. He's going to die. He retreats. God shows himself powerful over and again. And now this time, Elijah is told by the angel, go down there, tell him face to face. He's not getting up. He's going to die. And the king makes a choice here. The king is admonished in verses 15 and 16. But the king makes a choice. There's a little bit that takes place in between these passages here. But I want you to look at Second King, I'm sorry, Second uh, Kings chapter uh, or First Kings 22 here. Kind of get an idea of what's taking place here. First Kings chapter 22, verse 51. It says, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Judah's king Jehoshaphat and reigned over Israel two years. That's all he was there for, two years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother, in the way of Jeroboam, his son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin. And he served Baal and worshipped him. And he provoked the Lord God of Israel just as his father had done. See, everything in life is choices and consequences. Ahaziah made a choice. He watched how his father reigned, and he saw how he was evil in the sight of God. And even though he knew how his father had reigned, he made a choice. I'm going to live the same way. And I'm going to do wickedness. I'm going to serve Baal. I'm going to do what I want, what pleases me. And he provoked the Lord God of Israel just as his father had done. And as a result of it, God's word was clear. According to 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 16, he says, you will die. And in your, even in your sickness, even in your deathbed, even in the things that you are doing, you're not getting up because even in those circumstances, you are still chasing after Baal. 
You would have thought that falling out of a window of some sort and coming down to the ground and being on your deathbed and wondering whether or not you die, maybe that might be an eye-opener. Maybe that might be a situation after hearing of the first 50 and the second 50 and the third 50 being spared. I mean, he, he was well aware of what God was capable of. But even in that, he sought after Baal. And he sought after doing what pleased his own heart. And there's a consequence here because of it. In verse 17, it says this, And Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Since he had no son, Joram became king in his place. And this happened in the second year of Judah's kings, Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat. And the rest of the events of Ahaziah's reign, along with his accomplishments, were written in the history of the record of the Israel's kings. His choice was that he repeatedly chose to live in a life of wickedness just like his father. And the consequence of that choice is that he died. He said, well, everyone's going to die. Right. But God taught a lesson to it. Remember, God is a God of justice. In that situation, I believe, maybe there was an opportunity for him to be healed, but God wasn't going to give it to him. In his situation, even in his sickness... He chose to follow after Baal. And God says, there's a lesson here you have to learn. There's a lesson. So my question to you is, I want to close the service with four questions this morning. First question is this. Was it just an accident that Ahaziah fell out of the window? I want you to contemplate that. I don't believe it was. You see, God is a God of justice. He's a God of judgment. He's righteous. He's holy. And 1 Kings repeatedly tells us that he provoked the Lord. And in provoking the Lord, he made choices to serve Baal and to reject God. Was it an accident he fell out of the window? I really don't believe it was. Because God will ultimately be vindicated of his right own glory, his own righteousness, his own jealousy. He's an awesome God. And it says over and over throughout the Old Testament, he says another... God I will not share my glory with. He is an awesome, powerful, but he's also a jealous God. Number two, does God orchestrate the events of our lives to teach us more of who he is? Yeah. You see, God could have probably just done, quote unquote, another random arrow in a time of battle. But God didn't do that. This time God set the scene and had an incredible story. Can you imagine being there? Gone. Just done. I mean, fire coming out of heaven and just destroys them. Not once, but twice. And you have to wonder sometimes in our, in our day-to-day living, what is God doing in our lives? How is he orchestrating the events of our lives to first of all bring glory to himself and to secondly to get our attention to turn our focus off our sinful choices to avoid the terrible consequences. You see, we talked about this last week a little bit in various Bible studies and so forth. God is such an awesome God. He didn't make robots. Isn't that cool? I mean, if God so chose, he could have said, you know, make a robot that says, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, for all eternity. But he didn't do that. He gave us a mind. He gave us a will. And he gives us the opportunity to choose to love him 
and to serve him. Ahaziah chose to serve a false god. And that choice had very severe consequences. God orchestrates the events of our lives to teach us more about who he is. God gave them an opportunity to see his power. In fact, the first 50 gone, the second one, they contemplated the situation. (laughs) I would have too. Um, Do I really, you know, I'm just, you know, um, 50 are gone. Um, Yeah, let's try it. Duh. God gave them opportunity to realize what his power was. And God works every day in our lives, and he gives us circumstances and opportunities and situations that really have only one real uh, uh, point, at the, point in, in, in all of it is that we might look to him, and he doesn't, and sometimes we don't do it. He said, I'm right here, and we just we look beyond it. We look around it. Or sometimes, we, as we said before, we kick the door and say, look at God's son. No. God orchestrates the events of our lives so that we would see his hand in what we're doing day by day. God wants us to acknowledge him. Well, how often do we do it? Do we acknowledge him? I mean, here's a perfectly good opportunity with the fire coming down to say, whoa, wow, guys, let's just sit back here and just for a moment, let's, let's think this through for real. But they didn't do it. I mean, it was like a blurp. And then, oh, yeah, well, the king says. Well, because the king said, I better do it. No. God was on the throne and he was working very miraculously, powerfully. So when we think about God orchestrating the events of our own lives to teach us more about who he is, do we, are we getting it? You say, well, God's not there. God's, God's, God's playing hooky on me. God's, not, God's not, obviously not in my life right now. Is he? What is God trying to do in our lives right now? Well, how is he trying to get our attention? What situations has he allowed that, he, that he's trying to use to get, get us to focus back on him. God can do it in so many ways, but obviously he uses his word. Obviously he uses circumstances. Obviously he uses other people in our lives. But what are the circumstances that God is trying to use in our lives to get us to look to him? Because remember, every choice does have consequences. And we can deal with these situations and say, well, well, I, well you know, just, this is bad luck. This is just coincidence. This is just happens. To, no. Or we can say God has divined these circumstances divinely ordered these circumstances so that we would look to him. It's ultimately a choice whether you acknowledge him or the circumstance. But it's ultimately a choice that's going to have a consequence depending on how you view it. I believe that God doesn't make any mistakes. Is that true? God doesn't make any mistakes. We've lived long enough We've observed enough to know that God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. We can trust him. We can trust him. And Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good. We're, look, we're, we're great at looking at that verse. You know, man, I've got this terrible situation. I've got this awful circumstance. And, you know, God, where is he? And blah, 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 blah. And we can have this little pity party. And all things work together for who? So for good, to, all things work together for good to them that love God. Do you love God enough to trust Him with your life? That's really what it comes down to. To them that love God and are called according to His purposes, not our own. 
You see, all of us like to just kind of order our lives. You know? I mean, that's kind of what Ahaziah was doing. He was kind of ordering his own life. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this and doing this and <laughs> falls, dies. He's trying to order his own life. I'm going to do wickedness like my father Ahab. I'm going to order my own life. And that's how some of us live. We're ordering our own lives. We're doing the things that we think will bring us joy, us peace, us satisfaction. And the world is doing it every day. Through moral relationships, through drugs, through alcohol, through a lot of different things. The world is trying to order their own life. And those choices will have consequences. But do I love God enough to trust Him? That he's not going to do anything in my life that is not for my good. And he says in verse 29, Whom he did for no, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So God allows those things in our lives that we might become more like Jesus. That's it. Everything God does in our life, every circumstance, every situation, to bring glory to himself and good to us. Third question. What do you see in the passage concerning God's sovereignty and power? There is no hand that can go against God. You think about that? I mean, I've seen some big guns, some awesome fighter planes, some hugeable, huge, hugeable, I just made a new word, hugeable, huge bombs. Can't touch God. our God. That's our God. Sovereign, he can do whatever he wants and you can't do a thing about it. He's God, not us. And that's why John the Baptist said he must increase and we must decrease. Because it's not about me. It's all about him. It's all about him, not us. And number four, the other question I have to ask when I read through a story like this is this. Will God, who is a jealous God, tolerate unrighteousness? I don't think he will. We see from this example that God is a God of justice and judgment. He's not just a big, meanie God in the sky. He's a God of justice and judgment. He says, I am a jealous God, and I won't tolerate you provoking say, well, is this guy just kind of like showing his power so he, just because he could? Maybe. Because he can. But see, that's not even the issue. He provoked God over and over and over again. And even in the midst of God showing his miraculous power, he's still slapping the face. First 50? Let's send another 50. Oh, another 50. And I don't think if they would have got it, he'd have kept sending 50s. And they would have kept dying. Because God is a God of justice and judgment. And he'll not tolerate unrighteousness. So what do I get from the story? Several things we can get. God is awesome. He does everything to bring glory to himself. 
every circumstance, every situation, every difficult thing that God allows into our life for a reason. He will bring glory to himself. He's powerful. And we've got to get that. That's the kind of God I serve. That's the kind of God we get to serve together. An awesome, powerful, living God who can do whatever he wants because he's God. And he does it to bring glory to himself and good to us. And we can look at a story like that and say, well, God's mean. Or we can say, you know what? God is awesome. He's awesome. I don't know how you view God. But hopefully you get a picture of who he is. Not just his justice and judgment, but his power. And really his love. Think of that whole side of the coin. Just for a moment, we'll close. On one side of the coin, you see his judgment and justice. But on the other side of the coin, here's one of his choice servants who just basically threw death in the face of the king. And God could have said, oh, well, that was stupid, Elijah. What did you do that for? But he didn't do that. Elijah experienced God's protection. And Elijah, because he trusted God... Well, if I'm the man of God, boom, God does it. Elijah got to experience God's protection because he stood for what was right. And in a world that we live in, we are called to make choices every day. We can stand for what's right and exercise our faith, knowing that God's going to work in ways that we can't even ask or imagine. Or we could have, as Elijah maybe could have, the angel comes to Elijah, says, hey, you're going to have a group of guys coming to you. They're going to walk right past you. They're going to go try to find Beelzebub, and they're going to try to find out whether or not the king's going to live. He goes, goes, I want you to stop them. And Elijah could have went, oh, no, sorry, not doing that. And here's what happens, because that choice also would have a consequence. That choice to do nothing when God tells us to do something, that consequence is that you have missed opportunities to see what God is able to do. And I think that's where a lot of us live. We live with the idea that God's asking us to do something. And we're afraid of what it might entail. We're afraid of how it might unfold. And we miss the opportunity to see God do something great. Let's not be on that side of the Let's be on the side that says, okay, God, if you want me to tell him that he's going to die, I'll deliver that message. And I'll trust you for the outcome. Is there any safer place to be than in the perfect will of God? Is there? There is no safer place. There is no safer place for Elijah than to sit right there and say, sorry, guys, you want me? (laughs) Deal with him no safer place than to be walking in obedience, doing what God has asked you to do, leaving the outcome to him. That's where he wants us to live. Let's pray.